Mr. A here, saying, how y'all doing? Yo! Are you ready to rumble? Or should I say tumble? Cause I don't stumble, I bumble like a cracker flying Welcome to the Rumble. We are back and better than ever, helping you stay ready so you don't have to get ready. We don't want you sucker punch, so we are here each and every week helping you keep your guard up. I am Jeremy Lavelle with Remedy Claims Consulting at Claims Coach on Instagram and on TikTok, affectionately referred to as the mouth of the South. And alongside of me, as always, is Mr. Brent Hooper of Max Claim Solution of Baltimore, Maryland. We just call him the Beast of the East and the ever-lovely, satisfyingly sinuous, the vehemently voracious, and the love of my life, Baby Cakes, Miss Donna Lavelle. What is going on, everybody? And by everybody, I really just mean Donna. Hi. Nothing. <laughs> Nothing's going on other than other than this podcast right now, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Guys, uh, I've got good news and I've got bad news. What do you want to hear first? The bad news. Brent is not with us. He's not dead. So stop the music. Oh, he's not dead. He is. He's just. He's just otherwise occupied for this one episode. I gave him a one break. Actually, he uh, he spent last week in Virginia. Um, coaching some contractors, things like that, um, getting those guys coached up. And so he's kind of playing catch up and we've had some other things that cropped up. And so I am going to not fly solo because I've got an amazing co-pilot sitting over there twisting and tweaking and making everything happen. Remember, if you hear anything cool, it is certainly not me. And obviously it's not Brent because he's not here. It is the amazing baby cakes making us sound like we actually know what we're doing. And so a uh, big shout out to her once again for all of the production assistance and everything yeah. that she does. So we're still on policy, though. Yeah, I don't know how I'm going to. I'll try to keep up. Well, I'm sure you'll keep up. I mean, you have half as many people to keep up with and everybody knows I'm a lot slower than Brent is. <laughs> So we do miss Brent, though. He's always uh, he's always nice. But we've got one more segment of policy to cover. And so uh, we're going to be getting into that. Always. Um, anything cool going on in the world that you know of? Um, yeah, we we have listeners from all over the place. Um, listeners from all over the place. Yes. I had an apartment like that, but it was cockroaches. <laughs> um, so we have listeners in, in, in I almost said Canada. Canada? Canada. That's how it's pronounced, actually, I believe. When you get up north into the French part, it is pronounced Canada. Canada. Okay. So, Canada, Belgium, Singapore, Colombia, um, the People's Republic of China, India, Ireland, uh, Mexico, and Bangladesh. Well, I mean, we are an international podcast now, and that is, that is for certain. I'm pretty happy about that. Yes. We're worldwide. So, uh, we, so when I die, maybe they'll play music. Maybe. Maybe because people all over the world know me. Yeah. That's pretty them. incredible. All their flags will be half staff. That's that's true. That's true. I, I fully expect that. Or maybe even quarter staff. Have some damn respect. <laughs> half staff is too half high. Staff for something. They're they've never there's a whole generation of people that have never seen the flags all the way up. Right. Well, <laughs> That's true. Entire generations, because I think we kept them half staff pretty much all of 2020 well. during the pandemic. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. So, uh, well, guys, we're going to we're going to be digging into some things. It's going to come to you in three separate rounds. We're going to be talking about endorsements as uh, to kind of wrap up our series on 
policy interpretation. We're going to be covering three different endorsements. We're going to talk about kind of how they work and uh, what they do. And so just remember at the beginning of the round, you will hear this sound. And at the end of the round, you will hear this sound letting you know that the round is over. Remember, if you hear anything cool, it is not me. It is baby cakes over there twisting and tweaking. And we always encourage you to leave your questions, comments, thoughts, and otherwise prayers, prayers in the comments below. Um, don't forget to click like and subscribe. I will remind you that at the end of the show, but we're ready to get into it because round one starts right after this. One of the most difficult claims you can work is a contents claim. It requires extreme detail and significant documentation. Ricky McGregor with Monarch Claim Services is the expert you need on your side. She will handle on-site evaluation, inventory, photo documentation, pricing, and overall contents claim organization. She will work with your team beginning to end so you can focus on the rest of the claim. Do your client a favor and call Ricky McGregor with Monarch Claim Services. You can reach her at 515 515- 5783-1434. That's 515-783-1434 or find her on the web at monarchclaimservices.com. Round one. Law and ordinance. <laughs> What's that look for? Yeah, I didn't know what endorsement I was gonna go with, to be perfectly <laughs> honest with you. So, guys, I am flying solo, so be a little patient with me as we as we break this down. Now, if you um, getting into law and ordinance, just to kind of kick things off, um, you hear it often referred to as code upgrade. That is the most common thing that you hear, and and I see a lot of mistakes made um, with this endorsement, both on the carrier side. And on the contractor side, but by and large, what this thing is supposed to do is, is if you were, if you were in the middle of a covered loss and you come across a, I, I guess for lack of a better explanation, a particular um, like building material or something that is required, or even if you come across something that doesn't exist in, in place at the time that, that, that is now required by code. For example, if your house was built like in 1985, it is now 2023. And over time, the code has changed. And there are things that, um, that have to be either added to the house or the house needs to be brought up to code in um, some sort of way or another. For example, um, it was very common in this region in the late 70s and 80s to put 3 8 inch decking on homes on 24-inch spans. You'll find houses all over this area that have that. Well, 3 8 inch decking is no longer approved by code on a 24-inch span. It is allowed on a 16-inch span. And that's the, when I say span, that's the distance between the rafters. Um, if it is, if it is a, if it's on 24 inch spans, then that decking must be upgraded or improved to half inch decking. And that's just simply the code. And by code, I mean law. Now you'll see where carriers often baby cakes, you'll see carriers often go, well, that code is not enforced. That's my favorite argument as well. That code's not enforced. That's stupid. Well, why do you think it's stupid? Just out of curiosity. 
because I mean, speeding isn't isn't always enforced. What law is always enforced? Is yeah. my question. I mean, they they can enforce it whenever they feel like it. Was the, That's was the issue when someone is is committing murder? Is that law at that moment being enforced in that situation at that time? No. It's not being enforced, right? No. It's like because if you now if you see somebody with a knife or a gun going after somebody else, then a police officer or a rather um eager um good Samaritan might insert himself into that situation. Yep. You know, um the very fact that something is not enforced at the time that it occurs is a ridiculous argument, in my opinion. Yes. Now, if there are attorneys that are listening to this, please correct me if I'm wrong. Now, I am talking about criminal laws versus, or you know, I'm talking about criminal laws versus what would be considered civil laws, so to speak. And so there is some difference there, but no law is enforced generally until when? Until like a con- until it's broken, breached. Yeah, like a contract <laughs> isn't enforced until it's breached. Until there is an attempt to breach it, yeah. and then it stands up and says, "No, you can't do that." And yeah. that is essentially the point of an insurance policy, and that's the reason they pay premium on it. So now I have seen, I have seen in language in policies on an ordinance and law, um, on an ordinance and law pol- on an ordinance and law. Um, God, I cannot think today, Donna. <laughs> the other half of your brain is not here. Yeah, so just smack me in the back of the head real quick. Okay, thank you very much. Uh, I appreciate that. So ordinance and law, I have seen language within that endorsement that basically states if there is something that is enforced or carriers like to bring out, when there is a code enforced, we will step up and we will pay for this thing. And in fact, you often pay additional premium for it. And that's really the caveat there is that you're paying premium for it. So it would typically expand coverage. Now, I want to address something here. That is very important that you will see a theme across most of these endorsements that we're going to discuss, especially endorsements that, um, especially endorsements that expand coverage. And you'll even see it endorsements that limit coverage as well. But generally the, one of the big ideas behind endorsements in general is it often addresses some sort of ensuing loss. So in this case, there there is no one, there is no law, there is no enforcement that is going to walk up, knock on the door of someone's house and said, well, we noticed that you had three-eighths inch decking on your house and we're going to need you to change that. <laughs> so nobody's going to do that, right? It's it That is going to remain dormant. In fact, the code even says during a repair process, the code will remain silent. So it has to do with how much of the roof are we addressing. If we are addressing the roof in its entirety, then we are going to have to reach out and replace that decking because the roof is a system. It's not just the shingles. It's not just the drip edge. It's not just the fasteners. It's all of these things that work together. And so when when that occurs, the code then steps in and says, the, and in that situation, the code must be fulfilled in that way. Mm-hmm. And that's where you would add half-inch decking. And for those of you who are keeping score at home, half-inch decking isn't really so, sold. What you buy is 7 16 decking mm-hmm. most commonly. And uh, 
<clears throat> so when you when you see that at when you see that at a store or at Home Depot or Lowe's home improvement store, you're not really looking for half inch decking. You're really looking for seven sixteenths decking. Um, just to be clear on that, I was, I was going to make a half inch dicking joke, but I didn't know where to put it in. <laughs> <laughs> so i have no idea where i left off um half inch decking <laughs> well that's not what you called it earlier <laughs> um anyway so but exactimate and most of us refer to that as half inch decking so um, and there's a lot of different places that you may see a code um, where you may need a code upgrade or a law and ordinance policy to take over. If you have a fire, for example, mm -hmm. and let's say within this home, they used all aluminum wiring. Yeah. And in fact, it may even be the culprit of the fire. Oh. Um, you're going to have to upgrade the uh, the wiring from aluminum to copper. You may often, lots of houses back in the 50s and 60s were built without a ground in them, and it's required by the fire code um, for there to be a ground present. So in the situation where there's aluminum wiring, they are going to have to pull that out. They're going to have to, they're probably going to have to replace the panel. If it doesn't have a ground, they're going to have to have all of these, all of this different equipment that's going to have to go in. And in the situation of a fire, this would be classified, you know, this would be part of the ensuing loss. But because of the fire, we would have not done this. Um, same with the decking. The decking would never be disturbed. This is the way the house was built. And, and we all know that building codes over time change. They increase. They have, they have, uh, I mean, you'll even see different laws like, uh, the American Disability Act. Um, you'll see where you have 50, if you have more than a 50% remodel, they'll make you bring, um, that building up to code where you have three foot doorways, you have, you have ramps, all of the accessibilities. Um, possibly if you're selling it, sometimes you can do a short sell and sell it as is, but before they'll get a certificate of occupancy on the new owner, they will have to bring it up to code. And those are often things that you see. Yeah. So if in a situation, so what is not covered? And let me be clear. If you read through the policy under exclusions, you'll say, you'll see where it says ordinance and law isn't covered. You'll sit, they'll say that these, that these code items and all of these sort of things are not, are not covered. And so what the difference is here is you cannot file a claim because the building in question is not in code. So if you have a house and it's got three inch decking and you decide to replace the roof, okay, are you following with me? You decide yeah. to go ahead and get a new roof and then the roofer comes to you and says, hey, uh, your decking's not in code. Okay, well, let's just call up the insurance company and see if we can. No, 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 no. Again, remember, one of the caveats of a lot of endorsements is there has to be some sort of ensuing loss. Yep. So... One of the, one of the biggest, one of the biggest, uh, one of the biggest mistakes that I see often is when somebody tries to enforce code upgrade where there is, where there is, where it is not accompanied with an ensuing loss. It's not a proximate. I don't want to use the word cause here, but it is a circumstance in which the, there needs to be access in order to properly provide the repair that is needed. That's the idea here. Yeah. And that's what ordinance and law basically is 
is for. Often, you will see it capped. Okay, so ordinance and law is quite interesting is that you'll see it capped. Most commonly, what I see is like $5,000, $10,000 of ordinance and law coverage. On occasion, you'll see percentages of coverage A, 10, 20, 30, 40, but usually those are available at additional premium. You'll have to add premium to it. And I noticed that a lot of the policies that are written by the major carriers out there uh, most of the time, ordinance and law is included in your standard broad form HO3 or whatever policy that they're using. Most commonly, that is going to be something that is added to most every single policy unless the homeowner or the policy owner steps up and says, I don't want that on my policy for any reason. I want to reduce the premium and I don't want that coverage. So, so they, is it already on there and they just have to get rid of it? Pretty much. By and large, that's what it is. And I and I have talked to a significant amount of insurance agents and brokers, um, Donna, and they automatically add that on there. Mm-hmm. So when they're quoting a home insure uh a homeowner's uh policy or a business owner's policy, they're gonna go ahead and include it on there, mainly because that it's not a it's not a matter of if the law changes or if the code changes. It's going to change every three or four years anyway. Yeah. And so, and you never really know what it's going to upgrade. You know, um, you saw like back in the late 90s and early 2000s, and I'm, I'll get into this endorsement here in round two, but I just kind of want to pre- preview it. Endorsements find their ways into policies because of major events that happen, like the black mold event. Mm-hmm. And I do want to get into the mold endorsement. I kind of want to talk about the history of that. Um, here in just a minute as we get into the, the, the mold endorsement that's very common, but by and large on ordinance and law, um, I don't want people to confuse though in ordinance and law and when this should be triggered and how it should be used because ordinance and law does not come into play when there is uh, code compliance. So let, leave us not misunderstand the difference between compliance and upgrade. And so if the carrier, if the carrier tries to go, oh, well, okay, half inch decking costs, costs, if you have $5,000 worth of code coverage and it costs $7,000 to deck the, to redeck the roof, what's the problem with that situation? Well, the problem is, is the three eighths decking that you're taking off has value. And so really what they owe is the delta between the three-eighths inch decking and the half-inch decking, which is nominal. So guys, don't go, you know, encouraging people to buy a ton of code upgrade coverage. Um, don't have people buy a ton of code upgrade coverage uh, because usually that five or $10,000 is pretty sufficient when it comes to dealing with a home. And that will conclude round one. I just, I just want to kind of tighten this up a little bit. One last little thing on code upgrade. Remember to read it. Enforcement exists in perpetuity. Okay. So just because it's not being enforced in this moment, just because it's not being, it hadn't been enforced in years, it doesn't mean that some new city manager or some new building inspector, somebody comes along and at that point decides to start enforcing it. That's one. You cannot guarantee that they will never enforce it. And two, the law in and of itself, which is what building code is, exists in perpetuity. Until that law is repealed, it is the law. It remains the law and it remains in force. Nobody enforces law. It either is in force or it is not in force. And it is not 
enacted upon by any sort of human effort. It either exists or it doesn't exist. It is either legal or it is illegal. It is a very black and white situation as it pertains to law. And we're going to get into uh, some different mold endorsements in round two because round two starts right after this. When choosing someone to help with your online marketing, make sure you go with someone that has years of experience. Our good friend Sally at Thrive has over 20 years of digital marketing experience. She can build you a beautiful 15-page sleek, interactive website, post on your social media platforms multiple times a week. She can do a video, an amazing CRM to manage and maintain and nurture your clients, text, email marketing, review generation, a business listing on 60 plus search engines, including three voice networks, appointment scheduling, estimates, invoices, payment processing, and more. She will also create for you on uh, on Google, a Facebook page, in Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. If you need these for your businesses, she'll, she'll help you create those pages on all of those sites. If you already have these pages, she'll optimize them for you as well. Call or message Sally today. If you want to get started, you can reach her at 214-789-1651. Again, her name is Sally Brigance. Her number is 214-789-1651. And uh, you'll also get a landing page the day you sign up. When you send her a referral that signs up with her, she'll credit your billing account. Logos are also available. Um, and she also offers a lead generation service and SEO search engine optimization where she can uh, guarantee you to appear on the first page of Google or your money back. It is spelled T-H-R-Y-B. And you can find my good friend Sally Brigance, and that's spelled S-A-L-L-I-E. Brigance, B-R-I-G-A-N-C-E, and she can be reached once again at 214-789-1651. Round two, mold endorsement. (laughs) So what is a mold endorsement? Well, by and large, most most of the time when you look up, I'm going to use some some policy terminology here, which is fungi, microbial growth, growth. Uh, my, you know, uh, so if you have mushrooms growing in your attic, not covered. Okay, like mushrooms. <laughs> <laughs> it is considered a those fungus. Are property. <laughs> those are those are my mushrooms. Yeah, I'm sorry, that is not mold or that's not fungus. That's medicine. Mm-hmm. I actually had somebody tell me that one time on a uh, on a uh, drying room in uh, it up in a. Uh, Spokane, Washington, or no, Seattle, Washington is where I was working. Uh, it's one of the first claims I worked when I got up there and I was working for the carrier at this time and they had a microburst go through there as they get a lot of them in the Pacific Northwest. Tell us again what a microburst is. A microburst, I will explain to you kind of how the weather phenomenon works. So there is an immense amount of updraft and then there is an extreme amount of down pressure that get, that, that that is pushed towards the ground. Now, if you were to turn on the faucet in your sink and you saw the stream of water come down and then you'll watch water kind of spread out in all directions when it hits the bottom of the sink, essentially that's what a microburst does. They are very forceful. I have seen them break trees like 
like toothpicks and the north uh the pacific northwest because they get so much rain guess what happens to most of the tree roots they stay close to the top of the earth and even though so it's so heavily wooded, even even the people who build their houses in the middle of the woods or even when developments go in there and they leave some of the trees, commonly what happens is these people start to water their lawn or whatever the case may be. And the trees do not go as deep into the earth as maybe the trees out here in Texas would. And so they're very the, the root ball is incredibly shallow. So it just doesn't take a lot of wind for them to start toppling and breaking trees. And uh, I, I most commonly see those microbursts. One of the telltale signs of a microburst is you look up about 30 or 40 feet and you will see. And again, this is on like a 90 foot tree. You'll look up 30 or 40 feet, 20 feet, and you will see the tree is broken off as opposed to leaned over by the root ball. I see plenty of them that get blown over by the root ball. Those are more straight, straight line winds, whereas a microburst wind is going to come down right on top of it and just breaks it like a toothpick. And that's kind of how you can tell when you're dealing with a microburst, when you see things kind of broken towards the middle of it or it's broken off um, due to the inability of the tree to withstand the down pressure. So, um, but getting back into mold coverage. <laughs> uh, oh, back to, the, back to the story about the medicine. A, yep. a tree had fallen on this guy's drying room and he was growing marijuana. And I thought I was going to be really, really slick. Obviously, it's legal. It's legal in Washington to grow it. It's legal in Washington to purchase it, possess it. It's all recreational there and all that kind of stuff. And uh, so <clears throat> kind of what had happened is is the, the tree had fallen over on it. And I walked up and I said, well, sir, uh, plants aren't covered. Because trees, shrubs, land, that kind of thing are not covered within a insurance policy typically. And he goes, oh, no, 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 those are not plants that's medicine i was like oh it's medicine okay so i wrote it down and i said well who all do you sell it to thinking that i was going to get him caught up thinking i was going to get him caught up um think i was going to get him caught up and running a business out of his house which would not be covered because then it would no longer be his home it would be a pot growing farm and so um i i kept his uh I kept his, you know, so I I kept talking to him and kept asking him questions. And this guy had been coached from beginning to end. He goes, nope, this is just for personal use. He said, well, what do you do with the stuff that you don't smoke to use? He goes, well, I give it away. Like, who do you give it away to? Just whoever asks, whoever needs it. He he offered me some at that point in time. I'm like, no, I'm okay. But this guy had clearly been coached because I was thinking that I was going to get him tripped up on that um, as the carrier adjuster in that role. But by and large, they ended up covering it and they bought every single plant that was in there. I was, I was pretty amazed. And so, so um, insurance carriers buy drugs <laughs> is what you're saying. Well, they pay for the drugs to reimburse you for them. Oh. So they don't actually buy them. They okay. just reimburse you for the drugs that you lost. So um, <laughs> I guess I, I'm surprised that I don't see like a cap on that. Like possibly I would see kind of like when you get into California in the States where it's recreational or where it's, um, you know, where you're allowed to do it. You have to have grow licenses like in, in New Mexico and Oklahoma. You have to have those licenses to grow it. You can't, not just anybody can farm it, but in some of these recreational states like, uh, Washington and Colorado. And again, I'm no lawyer. I don't know what the rules are, but by and large, this guy was running a grow farm, um, right there in his backyard. And, uh, and I guess you're allowed to do that if you want to. I don't know what all the different laws are, but I know in, 
a lot of the states like Oklahoma, you have to have a grow license. Um, same with New Mexico. And they only issue so many licenses. Like they're not just going to, just because you meet the criteria and you have the money and you fill out all the paperwork and You'd you have do, to buy it from someone else. Well, yeah, you would have to buy it from someone else. They limit the number of available grow licenses that exist. So again, enough, enough on the, the pot farming subject <laughs> or whatever. Let's get back into mold endorsements. Most by and large, they are going to be excluded within the policy. Okay, but remember what I said, what endorsements do. There's usually some sort of ensuing loss. They're, they're usually a part of an ensuing loss. So the pro, uh, the primary cause of loss here would be water or, or hurricane or, you know, you might have an event that happens. And then because things got wet, it created the petri dish and the, and the, the conditions in the environment for the mold to bloom. Okay, so in that situation, it's covered. Where it's talking about in the policy is you decide that you want to remodel your house, and so you're gonna you're gonna replace some drywall for whatever reason. You're remodeling your bathroom. That's probably one of the most common places I see it. So they go in and they tear the tile off the wall, and they tear the bathtub out, and they tear the shower out, and lo and behold, guess what they find behind the drywall because they didn't use green rock or something like that in there. What? Guess what they find? Yeah, that's right. Weed. Well, oh. depending on the house you're in, possibly. Oh. But <laughs> in this situation, mushrooms? what I'm, what I'm, no, not mushrooms. Okay, sorry. <laughs> you don't, you don't do very good on multiple choice tests, do you? No. I can imagine fill in the blank must really just, just, I, just kill I you. I don't do well, no. Yeah. So in this scenario, in this anecdote, often what you see is mold, especially in a wet environment. You'll find things like this, like in laundry rooms. Um, bathrooms. You'll even see it in kitchens because you'll have like things like dishwashers that push up against a wall and there's no real place for water to go. Water goes outside. It may be leaky. You may never know it. It may never manifest on the inside. It just flows through the outside wall, but that environment gets wet. That insulation gets wet. You have a mold bloom, but it never manifests where you can see it until something else happens or you are, you are, uh, you know, in a situation where you're going to start making some changes, changing out the cabinets, things like that. Any of those things can happen. And then you find the mold and you want to file a claim because I got mold in my house. Well, after about 1999, 2000, 2001 in there, policies got very, very specific due to the black mold scare that we had back in the late, late nineties, early two thousands. They, um, because black mold, basically, because it, it, it claims some lives and most importantly, it claimed the life of some children, mm-hmm. which everybody got all up in arms. Black mold will kill you, which it will. But, um, I want to be clear. Black mold is not necessarily black. It is named black. Like the black plague was named black. Because it was deadly. <laughs> it's because it's deadly. That's why it's called black mold. It has nothing to do with the color. If you run into some microbial action that's black, there is a good chance that it's nothing more than good old fashioned North American mildew that you take all your clothes off in and dance around in the shower with every morning. Okay. So just because it's black in color does not mean it's dangerous. But you don't want to disregard those things. Mm-hmm. Um, some of it may be build mildew. Some of it may be mold. And so anytime you run into it, you're always going to want to get it tested. You're not going to want to make any assumptions. Let's find out what we're dealing with. 
But the interesting thing about this is, is for this endorsement really to trigger, if you have this mold endorsement on your policy, more than likely you're going to have to have some kind of proof other than just a visual inspection. Okay. While it does not specifically state that it's got to be the, I'm going to mess this up, the black mold strain, the stacky Bacchus or something. I, I don't know if Chris Courtville were with me right now. Dukakis. Um, Michael Dukakis. Not, well, no. Or Olympia. Olympia. No. Uh, no, it's, it's a specific strain that's determined what black mold is. It's very harmful to humans. Um, it doesn't even say that it has to be harmful. It just says that it has to be present. But the the way that you go about the remediation of it is is important okay so whether or not it's harmful to humans is going to matter i think mold in any large content and let me be clear black mold is in the air folks there's black mold when you walk outside you are sucking and blowing black mold everywhere you go all the time there is just enough for your body to metabolize or 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 you know balance out and it can process it but in large concentrated areas it's going to be something that has to be treated most commonly the mold endorsement that exists on policies is um due for the remediation it purchases and pays for the remediation of the mold and so if you have damage that is due to water so we're going to put that under coverage a and then the remediation of the mold would fall under the endorsement. The most common limit that I see on that is $5,000. Um, again, there's additional coverage if you want to pay premium for it. But again, it's just the remediation. I just recently had a mold case where they had $5,000 worth of coverage. And we did $4,997 worth of remediation on the house. <laughs> is where it came in. And so I was, I was pretty excited about that. And with... 4,000 with, with the mold remediation. Remember, it's just the line items required for mold remediation. If that line item is required in a situation where there was no mold, for example, flood cutting the flood cutting the drywall, that's not a mold protocol. That is a water protocol. And so it's only the things that fall under the mold protocol. So somebody's going to ask me, what about antimicrobial spray? Nope. That is not part of the mold protocol. They're going to put antimicrobial spray on anything that has gotten wet to prevent mold growth. And that is part of the policy. What's our job underneath the policy? What is one of the duties after the loss is to mitigate from further damage. Remember, that mitigation effort does not stop once the threat of the initial peril has been controlled. The hurricane has passed. The water's been turned off. We still, in an effort, have to mitigate from further damage. That's why we protect the floors so we don't get paint on the floor that's not damaged. So we're going to do everything we can. Those sorts of line items are going to be covered. So the antimicrobial spray that you put on the floor, on the walls, or the framing members, or whatever the case may be, is going to be a, a mitigating effort and not a mold remediation effort. So remember, you're going to have to separate those out often and exactimate what I'm going to do in that situation situation is I'm going to have a completely different coverage that is going to add up those line items and I'm going to put like, you know, sanding the framing members or um, shellacking or spraying down the framing members so that it doesn't grow mold. You're encapsulating the framing members. Um, 
so mold is a very interesting. I know one of the larger carriers under no circumstances, not only do they not offer an endorsement, they offer no coverage. Um, you know, uh, the, and I worked a very large mold loss where there was no mold coverage and without the remediation alone, without the remediation whatsoever, we were still looking at 120,000 Hundred and fifty thousand dollars worth of mitigation efforts. A refrigerator ran for two weeks while he was out of the country. So those those losses and the mold on the ceiling. There was actually a shot. It was a it was a three level house, walk in basement. Main floor is where the refrigerator was. The hose the hose ruptured on the back of the refrigerator. Water ran for two weeks. Nobody saw it. And below, right below the kitchen, interestingly enough, is a is a shed or a work uh, a tool room or a work or a workshop kind of thing, and it has plywood on the walls and on the ceiling, just normal CDX plywood. And when you walked in there, it looked like something out of a haunted house because it had mold growth. I kid you not, that was at least an inch long, growing off of the ceiling. Gross. And it was not black; it was green. Ooh. <laughs> It was green, but it was most certainly, and the, the color of the bloom, by the way, depends on what the water flows through. That is what determines the color of the bloom, is what the water passes through prior to the mold blooming. That's interesting. So that's, that's where the color comes from. So the color literally means almost nothing to the strain of it. I, I, of course, I would, I, would, uh, I would challenge you to speak with one of your local environmental or industrial hygienists on, on how to identify different different strains of mold, but Chris Corbel. But again, I'm going to treat mold kind of like I treat snakes. I'm not going to get close enough to find out. I'm just going <laughs> to get rid of it. You know, I'm not, I, I'm not into testing what kind it is. It's just, it's just got to go. Mm -hmm. And that's how I deal with mold. And that's really how I would, you know, but you want to make sure that there's coverage. If there's an endorsement, that's the green light. Go ahead and get everything tested. If you don't have that endorsement, if you don't have that coverage, don't ring any bells. Talk to your water mitigation expert. Talk to them on what are the things that we can do. Because really what happens is, is if we ring the bell that there's mold and the test goes in, that sticks with the house. That is going to hang out with the house even after it's sold. And if it is determined to have had mold in it, then you are most certainly going to have to have that cleared. And so the guy that comes out and tests for it is the guy that comes out and clears it. The guy that remediates the different guy, most commonly in most states, please check with your local state to figure that out. But I know right here in Texas, the mold contractor and the, and the guy that tests for it cannot be the same person. But by and large, you want to remember that, that, um, you're going, if you test for it, that is going to ring a bell. And when they get ready to sell it, they're going to want to see that mold clearance certification. Cool. I think so. Mm -hmm. Mold's pretty cool. It is interesting. It's a, it's an interesting the way that it goes. And I've always wondered, you know, in my head, because they were tearing out. I remember I had a good friend of mine in the early 2000s that was working for a mold remediation contractor when that thing got super popular and they were going through all of these different buildings, finding it before insurance policies excluded it. And insurance policies got wise and they were going into these commercial buildings where they found all this mold and they would find one little bitty bit of mold and then they had to tear everything out. 
And it was, it was a very expensive, very lucrative. We're not getting into that. You know, I mean, that, that has been pretty much curtailed in the fact that carriers just don't cover it at, you know, very much anymore. Yeah. You know, it's, it's something is like, look, we're just not going to cover that. And I see that as a common thing. Again, remember, if mold is discovered and it is your cause of loss, 90% of the time, it is not going to be covered. But if it's part of the ensuing loss because you had a water loss, then absolutely you can have that endorsement that extends coverage for that. In uh, round three, I'm going to be talking about matching endorsements and how those works. <laughs> those works. And uh, I'm going to be talking about matching endorsements and how uh, those different matching endorsements may work. And uh, <clears throat> we'll be back because uh, round three <clears throat> <laughs> starts right after this. The Pain of the Claim is looking for sponsors, and we would love to promote a business that provides services or equipment to public adjusters, restoration companies, and roofing contractors and general contractors. Examples would be like safety gear, roofing-related products, restoration equipment, payment services, CRMs, reporting services, expert services, anything like that. We want to help you tell your story and get you together with the people that really need your help. So give us a call. We can we can get your name out there and we can grow with you. Round three, matching endorsements. Well, you know, I can't get everything right all I'm of the time. Out of sorts without I, I really am. I really am. And and so with without Brent here to laugh at me and hold me accountable, I feel like I can just almost get away with anything. So. I think he's the one that holds this whole thing together. <laughs> well, matching endorsements. It's actually and speaking of Brent, he does run into these matching endorsements quite a bit. And this is one that I find to be weaponized quite often. Um because remember at the beginning of the show, as I was talking about endorsements, one of the things that you know about them generally is that there's some sort of ensuing loss that's involved is that it doesn't typically um, it doesn't typically trigger unless it's going to cause an, an extended amount of loss in those things. And so that they can extend coverage for those things that may not necessarily be damaged but are going to be so involved in the repair, it's going to cause a, uh, a rather large increase in the scope. And uh, one of them that we see a lot is a matching endorsement. And typically, one of the things that triggers, one of the most common things that triggers a matching endorsement, especially on a roof and a siding matching endorsement, and I think that they call it something else, and I wish Brent were here because he would know. Um, sometimes they call it a, con uh, a, a continuous uh, a line of sight endorsement or a uniform appearance endorsement. You'll hear them called that from time to time. But by and large, the, this matching endorsement is triggered most commonly when the product is discontinued. And you'll see this matching endorsement weaponized quite often because one of the very first things that I will see a lot of contractors do is go, oh, well, this damage, this small amount of damage thing is no longer available. It's discontinued. So while the vast majority of it is undamaged, this small little piece is, but it's discontinued. We can't match it. We can't do anything. And it's, you know, a uniform uh, in order to maintain a uniform appearance, we're just going to have to replace the whole thing. We'll enter the matching endorsement because it says in that particular case, 
we are going to cap it at a $10,000. Now, the interesting thing about why that's weaponized, let me tell you this, is because it actually ends up limiting coverage as opposed to expanding or extending coverage for the additional premium that most of these people pay. And that's one of the biggest problems that I have with it is that it can often hurt you um, in in many situations. And I'm going to tell you, even though you've paid more premium, if the reason that you have to replace it all quite honestly is is uh is due to discontinued you better you should have bought enough endorsement to pay for the entire thing no matter what so the main thing like in a roof situation you're going to have to pay for all the shingles on the roof so we want to make sure we're going to have to completely do a whole new roof so i would want to know what an entire new roof would be um, it would be interesting if you could actually get them to limit the $10,000 cap to just the thing that needs to match, which would be the shingles. But often what they'll do is they'll throw in all of the additional drip edge and all the additional tear off and all of those kinds of things, as opposed to just the replacement line item on the shingles, which is what I think the spirit of the endorsement should be. And by and large, $10,000 should be enough money. Siding is another place where you see it. So if you don't have enough money in that endorsement to pay for all of the siding, more than likely you're underinsured in that area. And so that is one thing that I would advise anybody to do. If you're going to buy a matching endorsement, make sure that the thing that it's endorsing is enough money to replace all of it. And you certainly want to clarify how they're going to interpret it down the road. Now, just because you ask how they're going to interpret it down the road does not at all guarantee that that's how they're going to interpret it. Yes, in fact, down that very same road, because you never really know who you're going to get in there as a desk adjuster and how they read and interpret the policy. And you want to make sure that those things are a bit more clear and a bit more understood. But again, this is one that I see weaponized quite a bit. While a lot of agents will put it on there because it sounds like more coverage. It sounds like something that that is better than... Um, you know, what they have because again, they charge more premium for it. So it expands your coverage and you think everything works, but that is not all you assume it's more, you assume it's more another place where you will see, um, endorsements kind of, kind of fall into place just to kind of rattle off a couple of other ones is like the sewer drain backup endorsement. Um, generally if, Um, You have a sewer drain backup that occurs on the premises, you're fine. It's when the sewer drain backup occurs off the premises where it becomes very, very sketchy. And because typically that is, there is going to be no coverage um, extended for that. You'll also have sewer drain backup, like if it is not due to a covered loss, it won't be covered. So you'll see you'll see an endorsement that comes in when the sewer drain is backed up, but it's not by a but it's not by a covered loss, then causing damage. You'll see coverage extended there as well. Um, other common endorsements that you see, um, sump pump is another one. It's not that quite the same as sewer drain backup, but sump pump is another one that you'll see up north. People who have basements often need those because when it rains, water's got to go somewhere, right? And the big hole in the ground that is also known as your basement is a very convenient place for it to drain, (laughs) baby cakes. That big hole in the ground that is serviced heavily by gravity is going to be a keen spot for a lot of rainwater to run off. So they install sump pumps to get those things out of there. 
And a lot of times they fail because guess what happens during a lot of storms when you have a lot of water coming down? The power goes out. That very thing that is powering the sump pump to get it out of there. But they have, you know, solar battery backup. They've got all kinds of different redundancies that exist there. But um, <clears throat> those uh, but the, those usually require some kind of endorsement. Rarely the pump itself is covered. Um, you know, so those are that's another endorsement that you will see quite a bit on policies slab endorsements as i'm just kind of wrapping up the show here um slab endorsements very interesting about a slab endorsement now they may generally in order for that to happen there has got to be some sort of manifest damage just because you know it's leaking doesn't mean that they're going to let you cut into it if the water's leaking and it's leaking out from underneath the house or outside an exterior wall and it's not caused any manifest a, uh, manifest damage within the home, um, then it's not going to trigger. But if you have that, you will often, you will often, once you have that damage, you can get the access and the egress in order to make those repairs. But in that case, the pipe is not going to be covered unless, unless it is damaged by a covered loss. So if it is damaged by a covered loss, such as a freeze, then that pipe would be covered. If it is, uh, if it breaks or corrodes and just has a hole and eventually leaks and it becomes a big major problem, not covered. That is a good example of wear and tear is not covered. Mm -hmm. So in that place, it would not be covered. Um, and, you know, obviously I see a lot of these endorsements that are weaponized um, by desk adjusters. And I don't really want to say carriers. By and large, to be honest with you, Donna, I just think that it's a lack of education mm -hmm. on how the policy works. Yeah. You know, um, I love it. Um, <laughs> I recently had a conversation with a desk adjuster that accused me of interpreting the policy. And I was like, well, obviously I'm interpreting the policy. Mm -hmm. That's my job. It's what my license lets me do. And there's a lot of attorneys that may be listening to us right now that are that are wanting to throw rocks at me because we're not supposed to interpret the policy. I said, but by and large, I don't really interpret the policy really a lot, Donna. You know what I do? What? I read it. Yeah. I read the pod. Reading is fundamental, right? If it says this is not covered, that is not an interpretation. That is simply the string of words that has a definition and a meaning behind the sentence. That is not an interpretation. That is communicated directly and expressly within the policy. There is no implication or inference that is made there. It is absolutely explicit on what it means. Flood is not covered. That does not require interpretation. That requires the ability to read. Yeah. Okay. And all policies, all policies there, there's no expertise there. There is no, I mean, again, I love the, I love the phrase reading is fundamental. Mm -hmm. So as long as you have the ability to read and whatever it is trying to communicate, you take it on face value. That is not an interpretation of the policy. That is simply the carrier communicating the, the circumstances under which coverage will be provided. Um, I am, uh, Hey, do we have, um, as this is coming out, I'm not real sure if it will have come out yet. We just recorded a podcast with Scott Hunziker, um, with Hunziker Barmer Law. And uh, we got into some really interesting stuff kind of about the legal process. And so I'm not real sure if this podcast comes out first or if um, that episode of Law and Policy. But if this one does happen to come out first um, 
and you don't see it in our YouTube in our YouTube uh, list or there on Spotify and the other different places that you can listen to us, you want to tune into that that podcast. In fact, Donna, it is going to be two separate episodes. Is that yes. correct? Scott and I sat down and had a two hour conversation. Part one and part two. We're going to have a part one and part two. It is called Law and Policy is what we call special it. Special Claims Unit. The Special Claims Unit. Is there another little hmm? um, Is there another little hitch to that? No, it's just Law and Policy Special Claims Unit, right? The claims process. <laughs> <laughs> do, we have the, do we have the intro on the board? Yeah, I do have the Go intro. Ahead. Do you want me to uh, yeah. see if I can play that for you guys? Hang yes. on just a second. In the claims process. Acts of bad faith are considered especially heinous. In this podcast, the dedicated public adjusters who investigate these vicious acts and the attorneys who settle them are part of an elite squad known as the Special Claims Unit. These are their stories. That's the pain of the claim, your source for prescription strength <laughs> claim relief. And now, your hosts, Jeremy and Donna Lavelle. Yay. <laughs> That's us. We're here. We're doing a medley of shows. Yes, we're doing a medley of shows. Welcome to the Pain of the Claim podcast. Um, your host, Donna Lavelle, and myself, Jeremy Lavelle. You can find me at Claims Coach on Instagram and on TikTok. Those are my intros. I love doing that. So <laughs> the idea is, is Scott is coming, is going to be on the next uh, couple of episodes of Law and Policy. And I'm going to tell you, he is a great interview, Donna. Yes. He is a fantastic interview. He is right there with you. Um, we get into sort of the legal process and what happens once a, uh, a public adjuster hands over a file to an attorney. Why does it take so long? What What is going on over there? Are they just sitting at the bottom of a very tall stack? Is that what's happening? But Scott gets in and explains some of those sorts of things and how important the PA process is in order for him to have a um a successful effort you know um and and how how important it is for us to do our due diligence in our job even if you kind of know it's going to go legal and you sign it sometimes it's very helpful for it to have gone through the pa process because there's a lot of things that even though that you know maybe the carrier is going to say no or you know that they're going to stand with their engineering report over your engineering report you got to give them the opportunity to do the right thing and the pa process is an excellent opportunity for the carrier to do the right thing yes if they want to, you know, and when they don't do it, that is an excellent way. But guys, listen to this podcast. It's going to, are you going to do it like a week apart, Donna? Or are you going to kind of back to back them? Because I don't know if I could wait an entire week where we cut that one off. Um, it'll probably, probably be next week sometime. Probably be next week sometime is when it'll be. Well, I'm really looking forward to it. Um, so more than likely, you will have heard this podcast first, yes. right? This one's going to come out first, and then, um, and then the law and policies will come out next week. I will, you know, I'm going to go ahead and uh, do this right here, and just say that's the end of the round, guys. It has been a great show. You have heard a whole lot of me talking, not near enough of baby cakes, and then of course we do miss Brent a ton. I cannot tell you how hard this show is to do without him, and I'm very thankful. Um, I'm very thankful when he's here. And Brent, you were sorely, sorely missed, brother. And um, we'll give you some time in in round one, or we'll have some extra time in there for you to insert kind of your opinions on these. But this will wrap. 
our three-week series on policy, unless Brent wants to uh, call foul and stand up and have a lot to say, because i got to give him a chance to say the whole thing. But if you like what you heard, by all means, click like and subscribe. And if you found it useful or you know someone that it would be useful for, please take some time to share it. Again, we are available on YouTube, any place that you listen to podcasts. Um, guys, I want you to know that we will be back next week. And in the meantime, stay ready so you don't have to get ready. And we will see you on the next one.